Is the Andy Avalos defense not aggressive enough? One of our listeners is concerned after hearing Brocco Blameyer talk about Andy Avalos and his background at Boise State. We'll talk about that and more next. It's Locked On Horn Frogs, your team every day. You are Locked On Horn Frogs, your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. That's right, Locked On Horn Frogs, your team every day. We're free and available wherever it is you get your podcast. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Probably the best way to follow along, but also subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. I want to start a little bit differently today. I know that Fort Worth is a community that our viewers and our listeners love. I'm sure many of you are still living there. A lot of you I know grew up there. And there's also a ton of you that, like myself, fell in love with the city when you went to TCU and maybe you moved away after that, but I'm always, I am always love when I get to go to Fort Worth. I got to uh, a few weeks ago do a play, high school playoff game at Castleberry High School between a couple of local schools, and it was just great to, you know, go down 7th Street and Passing Engine Center and see um, all those different areas that I used to frequent when I was a student. But it's an important fabric of the TCU community, and uh, – Something pretty scary happened yesterday. There was an explosion at the Sandman Signature Hotel. Um, at least to this point, praise the Lord, there have been uh, no deaths. Now, I'm recording this early on Tuesday morning, so if I'm not up to speed on the latest information when you're listening to this, I apologize. But there were a number of injuries, 21 people last I saw that were injured in this event. It appears like it was a, a gas explode or gas leaks that led to an explosion, but if you saw the pictures yesterday of downtown Fort Worth, it looks like something out of a movie. It was a pretty significant explosion, obviously. And so I just wanted to take a moment to say uh, I'm praying for those people that were injured. I'm praying for folks that are going back to work today and might be worried or concerned about being in the area again, or maybe it was a traumatic experience going through that. And I hope ultimately, you know, physically and mentally and spiritually, everyone ends up being okay. I wanted to just take a second to say that, address it, and let everybody know that we're thinking about those who were affected um, in that unfortunate event that happened on Monday afternoon. And there's no easy or simple way to transition from that to TCU athletics and specifically football, but we'll kind of stumble our way to that point as this is Locked on Horn Frogs and we're here to talk sports. And so I'll get to the discussion. And today I wanted to break down. So if you missed it on Friday, I did an interview with Bronco Blameyer, who uh, covers Boise State. He's got his own YouTube channel where he talks about the Broncos. He's a big Boise State supporter. And he knows Andy Avalos really well. And so he talked about Andy's background, how he came through the ranks first as a player for Boise State. Then he was a linebacker there. He ends up uh, being a position coach, eventually works his way up to D.C., parlays that into a job at Oregon where he's a defensive coordinator there, and then eventually comes back to Boise State as the head coach. End of his tenure did not uh, go super well, but, you know, kept that program humming along for a few years, and they ended up actually winning the Mountain West title this past season. However, it was after a really rough start to the season, and honestly it seemed like it happened kind of in spite of Andy, from from the perspective of the – 
the team kind of rallied around each other once he was let go. But he's really well respected around college football as being a great defensive coordinator. And one thing I know people were um, excited about with just the change of pace moving on from Joe Gillespie was new and fresh ideas, hopefully a more aggressive approach to the defense. Everybody uh, learned or got to a place where the 3-3-5 scheme was kind of a curse word because TCU was constantly only bringing three rushers, had three down linemen in their fronts, played a lot of soft coverage, and teams with good quarterbacks and good skilled players consistently seemed to just eat that defense up and do what they wanted defensively. And so one of our listeners, who goes by Luda Cliff on Twitter, he's one of my favorite followers on Twitter, really funny guy, um, and he, he mentioned that he was going to listen to this episode. And so yesterday he had this to say. He said, finally got uh, okay, finally listened to this. I did not leave the podcast as enthused and optimistic as I thought I would. Based on Bronco's assessment, it appears we'll be running a slightly grumpier version of Joe Gillespie's 335. I don't know how I feel about that. So totally fair. Uh, I ask, I think what he's getting at is I ask Bronco a pretty specific question where I talked about how TCU fans were frustrated at the lack of aggressiveness that uh, Joe Gillespie brought to the table as a DC, as a play caller. And they were excited about a new look and a new philosophy with Andy Avalos. And I asked him if he would consider Andy to be an aggressive play caller. And his response was, well, if that's, if that's what you're looking for, that's one of the more important things you're looking for. I don't know if this is going to be super exciting because Andy is more of a, you know, mix up multiple looks play coverages, try to confuse quarterbacks by disguising coverages, and he's not just bringing the house all the time. And what I mean by bringing the house is by bringing extra pressure, right? So uh, I was a little surprised by that answer too. Now, let me let me say this for context. I think I, think I asked a bad question to Bronco. I, I don't think it was a good question that I asked. Here's why. I was asking him to compare something that I just honestly don't think he knew a lot about. And I'm not – questioning his knowledge at all. He was, I asked him to come on to bring the Boise State perspective and to bring some background in Indy Avalos, and he did a really good job doing that. I'm guessing he didn't spend time watching TCU defensive tape and studying what Joe Gillespie does. I mean, me personally, like I cover TCU, there's a few defense coordinators I know around the Big 12 in the nation, but even names that I know or people I know that are well-respected, it would be really difficult for me to just – come on here and be like, here's what this person does without like studying it. I might be able to talk about just the base formations and fronts that they have or some kind of buzzwords that I've heard about their philosophy, but I'm not going to be able to really break it down unless I dig into it. And so I sort of put him on the spot and because he didn't have a, a good sense of what Joe Gillespie did as a play caller, I don't think he had anything to compare it to when he's thinking about Andy Avalos and his defense. Um, there's a good video on the Coordinator Project YouTube channel that breaks down what Andy Avalos likes to do as a coordinator. And I think one thing that will give TCU fans optimism, if you're worried about how many pass rushers are going to be there, and is this is not a traditional 3-3-5 scheme in that you have a stud linebacker who's kind of an outside linebacker and in a stand-up position – 
you have another outside linebacker that can be on the line of scrimmage outside the tackle in like a nine technique. And so there are going to be times where there's four down linemen on the line of scrimmage, five down linemen on the line of scrimmage, and they're not always going to come in pass rush mode. Like they might drop into coverage, drop into zone, drop into some man concepts. But I think we're going to see much less three-man pressures in 2024. And this also gives you, with the hybrid players you have at linebacker and safety, the ability to bring pressure from different angles and also change up coverage looks, disguise some things, try to win some battles with your scheme, which ultimately I think was the undoing of Joe in a lot of ways is it seemed like he wanted to just play his base front, keep things pretty vanilla, and allow his guys to rally and tackle and spill and kill. That's what if that's kind of the, the buzzword, the term for his defense. Where your defensive linemen are eating up space, your linebackers and safeties are coming downhill trying to clean up the, the mess, especially in the run game. And then you're sitting back in coverage, you're playing some zone concepts, you're trying to, you know, cut down uh, the windows the quarterback's throwing in cover everybody even when they spread you out into some four and five wide sets. And the frustrating thing about it was they were doing that. I mean, in in simple terms, one of the reasons they're doing that is to limit big plays and try to force teams to methodically go down the field and score. And they weren't, I mean, they weren't getting that done. Like they were still giving up a lot of throws over the top. And so no, I don't think these two Coordinators are similar. I think I asked a bad question and didn't give Bronco all the information he needed to answer it in a way that would like allow it to come full circle. But I will say this. I mean, like, as I've said before, bringing extra pressure, being more aggressive is not just a magic formula to be better. You still have to play fundamentally good football and this is going to be a, a turnover type of year because you have, you, you know, you're losing guys off the roster. You have a new scheme that you're learning. And defenses want to play fast. They want to be aggressive. But a huge part of that is first you have to get lined up correctly and understand your responsibilities. So that's going to be a big challenge for this team. And it the, this Andy's defense was at its best. Like his best years were at Oregon when he was the D.C. there. And he had Kayvon Thibodeau, which is – was and is a great pass rusher. He was a first-round pick in the NFL. And he's churned – I mean, he's churned out some players. DeMarcus Lawrence came through his, you know, uh, system at Boise, so did Leighton Vander Esch. But he was known for setting up Thibodeau in one-on-one situations as a pass rusher where he could thrive. But Kayvon was also an outstanding edge rusher, right? And so TCU's going to have to find guys that fit that mold. Now, I think they have some young, promising defensive linemen. Dominic Williams isn't really young anymore. It'll be his third year starting, but he's still there. Avion Carter, Marcus Deal, Marcus Deal's brother, Davion Deal's coming back. Caleb Fox and Tommy Mitchell are guys that have a lot of experience and hopefully will thrive more when they're asked to be players that play uh, uphill more or coming downhill more instead of just kind of – maintaining gap integrity, reestablishing the line of scrimmage, taking up space, and allowing everybody else to come make plays. So I'm optimistic about this defense, but you're going to have to recruit in a way that sets you up for success. 
And he did that in Oregon, but he also had Mario Cristobal as a head coach. And Mario Cristobal has some game management issues as a head coach, but he's known as a really charismatic guy. He's known as a great recruiter. Everywhere he's been, he's recruited well. He's doing it at Miami. Now he's still got to figure out how to get that team, you know, to a place where they're cohesive and they can win at a high level, but he's bringing in the type of talent that you want. And the only thing I really know about, you know, I asked Brian Smith, who is our uh, recruiting expert here at the Lockdown Network, ask him about Avalos and his background, what he knows about him as a recruiter. And the only thing he really told me was he's going to be a guy that you would think would know how to recruit nationally. Because at Oregon State, and excuse me, at Boise State and at Oregon, you have to recruit nationally. You know, Boise State, Idaho is not exactly a hotbed for high school football. And same thing in Oregon. Now you have the West Coast. You have California right there. And so they dip into that area a lot. They also do a good job pulling people from Hawaii. But you have to go all around the country at those schools to build a roster that's going to be successful and talented and good in all the right places. And so he has a taste of how to do that. Now, TCU traditionally has been very Texas-centric and Texas-heavy, which is what you expect. But maybe he can go find some players elsewhere and then go and get the job done. But I hope that gives some more context to some of his answers. And I do think this is going to be a more aggressive team. And I believe, yeah, Wayne Daniels responded to that tweet and says, nowhere near Joe G's scheme is actually a lot more aggressive than multiple. And multiple is a good word. I think they're going to be throwing different looks at offenses, trying to confuse them, disguising coverages, trying to keep offenses on their toes and not allowing them to get comfortable, which is, you know, one of the priorities with this new defensive scheme. When we come back, Michigan won it all yesterday, and I think they should send TCU a thank you card. I'll explain next year in Lockdown Horn Frogs. You have to be ready in an emergency. It's something that we don't want to think about, but as there's supply chain issues, as we see different events that just happen out of nowhere, it's important to know where you can get help. And Jace Medical is a place where you can be prepared for the worst if it happens. According to the FDA, pharmacies are running out of antibiotics like amoxicillin in the worst, in the middle of the worst flu season in a decade. That can be a scary thought. Um, I couldn't imagine more helpless feeling than, you know, if one of my four kiddos needed medicine or help and suddenly it was going to be delayed or there were issues that didn't allow that to happen immediately. The Jace case has a pack of five different antibiotics to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, including respiratory infections, uh, sinus issues, skin infections, among others. These types of things could happen to any of us. Visit jacemedical.com and complete your physician encounter. It'll be a, reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medications will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at the fraction of the regular cost. It's never been more important to be prepared than today. Go to jacemedical.com and use the offer code LOCKEDON to get $20 off your order. Again, that website is jacemedical.com. Use the promo code LOCKEDON and get $20 off your first order. Get the Jace case today and be prepared if and when your family needs it. Michigan Wolverines are your national champions. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, who now might end up going to the NFL, a lot of speculation about him dipping his toes back in those waters after a really successful stint with the 49ers. Uh, but they won it all. They won 34-13 over Washington. And one thing that I was super impressed with with Michigan um, during the semifinal and the national title game, of course, Michael Penix really stole the show against Texas. He threw the ball so well, made some 
great plays, uh, threw the ball in some tight windows. He was a little off in that national title game yesterday. But also the Michigan defense is just so good. I mean, that defensive line is relentless. They got pressure on Bama uh, constantly, which you don't see. I mean, I know this Bama team, they lost a couple games. It's not your typical Saban death machine, especially in the O-line. But it's still really rare to see an Alabama team get pushed around by anybody. Texas went into Tuscaloosa and did it early in the year, and Michigan did it at the end of the season. They just kept finding a way to get to Jalen Milrow, and it was more of the same against Washington last night. Washington could not run the ball, only 46 yards rushing. Pretty sloppy game at times. I mean, it was a seven-point ball game at halftime, and for the majority of the third quarter, and Washington consistently got chances to go down there and tie the ball game. Couldn't do it. Had some drop passes, some missed opportunities. And then finally Michigan put a drive together. Blake Corum uh, got in the end zone and extended that lead up to two touchdowns, and they never looked back. Pretty uh, efficient and just kind of business-like effort from J.J. McCarthy. Only had 18 passing attempts. He was 10 of 18 for 140 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. Wolverines got it down on the ground, 303 yards rushing. Blake Corm had 21 carries for 134 yards. Donovan Edwards, six carries for 104 yards. Donovan Edwards had two huge touchdown runs. And it was fascinating to watch that team because they were great up front. They were very physical. They made, you know, play after play on defense. Everything that were they were doing was what people said they were going to do to TCU, right? Like just bully them up front, uh, be more physical, play great defense, shut down a Big 12 offense, all that noise that we heard before that semifinal matchup. And I do think, I, I mean, obviously Michigan, maybe, maybe they'll admit this now because a lot of those players that were on that team last season came back to run it back and they won a national title and they were pretty dominant. I mean, they, you know, the science stealing scandal, they brought themselves. And I don't, I'm not naive enough to think that Jim Harbaugh didn't know what was going, didn't know what was going on. Like he knew what was happening. Okay. He just, he might've, Connor Stallions might've been a rogue agent who just went and did his own thing because he's very passionate about Michigan football, but that coaching staff knew what the deal was and nobody stepped in to stop him. But anyway, it led to the suspension for Harbaugh, Harbaugh, excuse me, and they just kept winning. And the Ohio State game and the Alabama game were really the only two competitive games from start to finish. Kind of got away from Washington towards the end of that ball game last night, and they handled their business against everyone else. And it was just week after week they consistently showed up, and they did it at a high level. And I believe – this is not me taking anything away from TCU. I'll never take anything away from TCU for winning that game. They won it fair and square. But I do think they caught Michigan off guard. I think Michigan went into that ball game. I don't know if the coaching staff felt this way, but I, I certainly got this vibe from the players just based on some of the things they said before uh, that matchup and sort of how they got hit in the mouth immediately by a really good TCU team. I don't feel like they took – the Frogs seriously last year. And then by the time they figured it out and got it together and kind of made a run at it, TCU matched them score for score um, and found a way to win that ball game. But I think that loss for them was a wake-up call from the standpoint of, okay, 
we have to be great at everything we do. And we have to be super detail-oriented. And we have to take a totally different approach to the season and just not take anything for granted. And I feel like you saw that from this Michigan team. And it's the type of mentality that I hope TCU would have going into this past year after getting embarrassed by Georgia, that they would say, okay, we know what it takes now to make a run. Now we just have to finish the job. And that starts with doing all the little things right and continuing with the leadership and the details that the team last year put together that led to such amazing success. But we all know the story there. Um, Michigan was a very well-built football team. They did from the inside out. They dominated people with line of scrimmage. They were tough. They were physical. And that's what TCU is going to have to get back to if they want to compete. The 12-team playoff is going to be fascinating. Um, I saw Ross Dellinger do some reporting yesterday that the NCAA is looking at, or I guess the CFP power brokers are looking at going to a five plus seven model. So the top the, the top five ranked conference champions in college football will have an automatic bid, which you would think that's going to be the SEC, Big Ten, the ACC, as long as it's a thing the Big 12, and then I don't know what the fifth would be. We'll have to see what, you know, Oregon State and Washington State do with the Pac-12. Maybe it ends up being the American some years. I don't know. But top five ranked conference title teams will get an automatic bid, and then you'll have seven at-large bids that will be based on rankings from there. So it's going to be easier to get in the playoffs. The road to a championship, though, is going to get harder because you're going to have to go win a game on the road, most likely, if you're not a top seed, and then win a few more to play for a national championship. And so TCU is going to have to build build a deep, physical, tough roster if they want to play in that game again. And uh, I think what they did in Michigan a few years back was a springboard that led to a really dominant team that the Wolverines had in the 2023 and 24 season. We'll get some audience reaction to wrap things up next. It's Locked on Horn Frogs, your team every day. FanDuel NFL playoffs kick off this week. On Saturday afternoon, this weekend, excuse me, the NFL playoffs are going down. A lot of fantastic matchups, of course. The Cowboys will host the Green Bay Packers and Jordan Love at AT&T Stadium on Sunday afternoon. And if you go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn, all you have to do to get free money to bet with is put a $5 bet down, and you'll get $150 in bonus bets. Again, just one $5 bet gets you $150 in bonus bets at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel also has an app that is super easy to use, and you can navigate that as well. You can put together some great parlays. You can just bet straight spreads, straight money lines, whatever it is that you're interested in. Or if you're just like, I don't really know a lot about sports betting, but I'd like to see what the possibilities are, what the opportunities are, because I feel like I can make some money. We'll go to FanDuel.com slash locked on and use FanDuel's money after making that $5 bet, or you can do it on the app as well. FanDuel, official betting partner of the NFL and a proud sponsor of the Lockdown Network. So TCU men, they take on a basketball team. They're going to take on Oklahoma on Wednesday night. I believe that's an 8 p.m. tip. Should have looked at that before um, we got on here, but I believe that's an 8 p.m. tip. 
for the men. The women play Texas and Austin at 7 p.m. tomorrow night. So two tough games. Uh, on the men's side, Oklahoma is ranked ninth in the country. Yeah, that's an 8 o'clock tip for the Frogs. So a chance to knock off a top-10 team and hopefully get some momentum rolling after that tough loss to Kansas. I talked a lot about that game on Monday's show, and a few of you had some thoughts. Jim Norris said, the one thing I'll say about the KU game, uh, Frogs missed too many dang shots. They missed finger rolls, threes, layups, you name it, just a couple of makes, and it's our game. Yeah, they definitely missed opportunities. I you know, I don't want people to think that I was in any way – I went pretty hard after the officials in on that show, and I think rightly so. I feel like the, fra- the flagrant one call was excessive, and ultimately it changed the game so much in an instant. It was a big deal. But at the same time, I mean, TCU missed their opportunities. Now, the funny thing to me is, Jim, I think that was one of their better shooting games of the season. I mean, they you know, they scored 81 points. They really shot the ball pretty well. Trey Tennyson had a fantastic ball game. But, yes, there's missed opportunities. It was not all on the officials. Like, a lot of that had to do with TCU. And even – I mean, even after those two free throws by Dickinson – Kansas got the ball back, yes, but they got the ball back in a tie ball game. And if TCU would have found a way to get a stop, then they could have gone down and taken the lead again with, you know, 30 seconds remaining. I was also confused. I mean, I say this, like there were four seconds on the clock. So it's hard to draw anything up in college basketball with that amount of time because you have to go the length of the court. It's not like the NBA where you can advance the ball. And women's basketball does that too now. But you can't advance the ball to the front court. I mean, you have to go length of the floor to make something happen. And so they got Jameer Nelson Jr. loose on a, on a little screen and got him his momentum going down the floor. And he – I mean, it was a long shot, but he was not super far outside the three-point line, had to double clutch, but he got a shot up there and just missed it. But the way Trey Tennyson was shooting, I would have loved to have seen him trailing the play where Nelson could have kicked it back to him for a three at the buzzer. But, again – there's not much time that you're dealing with, and you're trying to make a lot of things happen. There's a ton of moving parts. It's, it's much easier said than done. Also, talk some football on Monday's show. Frogs added uh, Ken Seals, quarterback from Vandy in the portal, and Travis Broughton, corner from Utah. Um, Matt Clark says Sampson and Saunders are projects. Broughton and Seals are ready to play now. Unfortunately, FBS football is only about what you can do now. That trade is a win for the Frogs. And so what he's referring to is, so they bring in Seals at QB from Vandy. They bring in Broughton in the corner from Utah. They also lost Donovan Saunders, the corner from Cal Poly, and lost out on Howard Sampson, offensive tackle from North Texas. I totally see your point. Now, I will say, like, you still have to build for the future. Even in the transfer portal era where you're changing up things on a yearly basis, and it's so tough now to keep guys in the fold if they're not playing because everybody wants to play, everybody's super impatient. But you still have to have that long-term view as well as the short-term view. And TCU is going to have to find a way to balance that. But, I mean, you gain guys, you lose guys. I think both players um, can be successful, you know, at their at their next stop. And it's unfortunate that TCU couldn't get them, but that's just part of the portal business. Uh, Mr. Doug said quarterback, he's referring to Seals, ran 40 times for 30 yards last year. Meh, but it'll work as backup QB. Yeah, he's not mobile. I mean, that's not his game. He's not going to run for you. He's a pocket passer. And so if if he ends up being in the ball game, he's going to be dropping back and throwing the football. He's not going to be getting a lot done with his legs. That's just not his not his ball game. 
Um, that's Lockdown Horn Frogs for today. We'll be back tomorrow. Thank you for your input and your questions. It's your team every day.